Students, welcome back. So very glad you are here with us. You guys bring fresh and new life back to us in our worship. And I know Tim loves it because you guys sing out. Awesome to have you. I need you to turn with me to the book of Revelation this morning, chapter 7. That's where we're going to begin. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to tell you a story about a time when I was in college. Uh, it was a summer and I was trying to make some extra money. I was doing uh, any job I could to find uh, a little bit of money, pay tuition, that kind of thing. I was mowing lawns. I painted a few uh, offices up at A&M, anything I could scrap together. And uh, one day, my neighbor came to me. He had a construction company. And he said, you want to make some money? And I said, sure, I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. You, you can sense where this is going. I said, I'll do anything. He said, great, show up at this construction site at, at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Right? And it was August. It was the middle of August, and I showed up at 7 a.m., and he took me over to a hole in the ground. It's about six feet deep, and at the bottom of this hole, there was a huge drainage pipe. And he explained to me, he said, uh, my backhoe can't get underneath this this pipe, and I need to to run some stuff underneath the pipe. So what I need you to do is I need you to climb down in the hole and dig out underneath that pipe for me. And so I climbed down into this hole. So I, I was in over my head and it was, it was clay and it was, it was uh, half filled with water. It was mucky. It was nasty. And I began to dig. And remember, it's, it's August and it was humid and hot. And after about half an hour, I said to myself, what have I gotten myself into, right? You ever had that experience? I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And I kept digging. And, you know, after about an hour, I thought, should I just quit? How bad would that be? Would, it, would I look bad if I just quit? If I, you know, and, and, I, and I realized partway through that uh, the reason he asked me to do it is because none of his employees were willing to climb down in that hole and dig out that ditch. And I thought, no, I'm not a quitter. I'm going to go. And I, I dug and I dug. It took me about 10 hours to dig that thing out. And many times I thought, why did I say yes? What in the world did I commit to here? You ever had that feeling? Maybe you went potluck for a roommate. <laughs> You're about to say, what in the world did I get myself into? Or uh, maybe you, you signed up for engineering. You know, there are more engineering majors in the fall than there are in the spring. You may say, what in the world did I get myself into? You ever had that feeling? Right, well, I don't want you to have that feeling about church. I don't want you to get a few weeks in attending Grace Bible Church and you say, what in the world have I gotten myself into with these crazy people? So this morning, I'm going to tell you, if you're new to Grace, what Grace Bible Church is all about. And if you've been here a while, I'm going to refresh you in our vision, our mission, what we're all about at Grace Bible Church. And I want to start in the book of Revelation Chapter 7, read with me in verse 9. John wrote, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is where human history ends. That is where human history is directed 
Men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation surrounding the throne, singing worship to God forever and ever and ever. Our bodies no more, no more, no more broken or damaged, no more sorrow or pain or fear, no more temptation will attack us. All will be set right and we will enjoy eternity with one another and with God forever and ever and ever. It will be perfect. As a church, sometimes when we are are hurting and we're struggling, we say to ourselves, God, why not now? God, if, if it's going to be so wonderful then, why not now? Why don't you just come right now and rescue us from this broken and fallen world and bring us into eternity? Why not now? Jesus answered that question very directly right before he left earth and went back to be with his heavenly father. In Matthew chapter 28, he said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what's known as the Great Commission. This is the mission of the church. It's the mission of of every church. It's the mission of every local church, the church universal. This is our mission. Jesus said it multiple times in multiple ways. And as a church, we could say it multiple times in multiple ways in our own historical context. This morning, I want to say it like this. Our goal as a church is to engage every person on our campus, in our community, and in our world with God's transforming grace. That's why we are here as a church, to engage every person, every person on our campus, in our community, and throughout our world with God's transforming grace. That's why we exist. And my wife's family lives in Oklahoma, and we go visit them periodically, sometimes just for fun, sometimes for holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. If it's a holiday, we have a big meal, and uh, I'm always asked to pray. My father-in-law said to me one time, he said, why don't you pray? You're, you're paid to pray. You go ahead. You're the professional here. You do it. So, you know, if there's a wedding or there's a funeral or whatever, I get called in because I'm paid to be spiritual, right? And so I confess that since I'm paid to pray and paid to be spiritual, um, there's a little more pressure on me, and I have to think about these things maybe a little more than you guys do. I think a lot about our church and why we're here. And I've been on staff here over 20 years, and I've thought a lot about the mission and the vision, the purpose of our church. And what keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again is the heart of of who we are and and why we exist is the grace of God. That's it. The grace of God. I've come to believe that there is no more powerful, life-transforming truth in the universe than the grace of God. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8, in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to talk for a moment about what grace means. This is one of the clearest passages about the grace of God. It's probably one that many of you have memorized. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. It is not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul says you are saved by grace through faith. It's not something that you could earn. It's not as a result of your works. No one will stand before God and boast of anything good that he or she has done. It is purely by grace. Grace means gift. 
In fact, the word for gift that Paul chooses to couple with grace here means literally something that is an absolutely free gift, unearned. You did not earn it, but it's something that you desperately, desperately need. As he will explain in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Everyone has sinned. Everyone, at some point or time, has known the right thing to do and has chosen differently. No one has met the standard, which is the absolute perfection of God. That is the glory of God. God is absolutely pure, absolutely holy. And some of us may say, well, I look around and I'm a little bit better than those around me. Won't God take that into account? No, the standard is perfection, absolute perfection. It is the glory of God. And all fall short of that glory. And if you follow this pathway a little further down the book of Romans, you see the terrible consequence. The wages or the payment that we deserve because of sin is death. Death means separation. That is, because of our sin, we will be separated forever from God unless the debt is paid. But he goes on. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Found nowhere else. And again, he uses the same word. It is an utterly and absolutely, completely free gift. Unearned. And consequently, it cannot be lost. Free gift of God. Let me illustrate. I remember uh, very vividly the first wedding I ever did. I've done a bunch of weddings now, but the first one really sticks in my mind. Uh, I wasn't licensed yet, so I, I came to our elders and said, I need to be licensed to do weddings, so it's legal. Right? You've got to have a license in the state of Texas to do a legal wedding. And they said, well, sure. Um, you know, I, was just, I was an intern then, but they said, well, we, you know, we see your future moving forward in ministry. We'd be happy to license you. By the way, where is the wedding? And I said, well, I kind of hesitated. I said, well, it's... Um, it's in Cancun. <laughs> and they go, oh, suffering for Jesus, we see. Sure, uh, yeah, Cancun. Um, yeah, right, we'll license you to do a wedding in Cancun. I I've, I've, had never been to Cancun before. I haven't been, been since uh, to Cancun, but it, it was awesome. And the thing that was most awesome about it is I didn't pay, right? Uh, the family paid for my flight. They paid for my hotel. They paid for all of my food. They paid for me to go snorkeling and do all the other fun things that we did for just about a week because we made just a big deal out of it. And I didn't have to pay. It was absolutely and utterly a free gift. And you know why they invited me? It's real simple. I was a friend of their son. Okay? That's why I got invited. There, trust me, there were better pastors to do the wedding. I'd never done a wedding before, right? I didn't, didn't know what I was doing with the wedding. I certainly didn't know how to conduct a wedding on a beach, on a Mayan rune, right? The bride's veil was whipping around all over the place. You couldn't hear anything. It was crazy. It was chaotic. But at the end of the day, I had a license and I could sign and it was legal. But they chose me not because of my skill, not because of any merit that I brought. They chose me because I knew their son, which is a great illustration of why we have relationship with God. It's only through the Son that is Jesus. As John would say in 1 John chapter 5, God's testimony is this, that he has given us eternal life and the life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It couldn't be clearer than that, could it? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. That is the only way you can have eternal life. It is through Jesus Christ. So how do you get Jesus? How do you get Jesus? And John tells us in his gospel, he said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. To receive Jesus means to 
believe in Jesus, and to believe him is to receive him. How do you get a gift? How do you get a gift? You just say, thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you. Somebody gives you a great gift, are they expecting that you will pull out your checkbook? Expecting that you will do good in return, are they expecting that you'll do push-ups and sit-ups? Are they expecting you to pay back in any way, shape, or form? No. No, that, that ruins part of the giving of the gift. They say, this is a gift because I love you. Take the gift. That's what faith is. Faith is simply reaching out and saying, God, thank you for Jesus. I believe. It's a free gift. It could not be freer than that. And since it's free, you can't lose it. You didn't earn it, you can't lose it. Hey, but, but somebody does have to pay for the gift, right? Gifts don't just appear. Uh, the giver pays. The giver pays. In our case, God paid. Uh, years ago, uh, Dr. Menninger, who, who started the Menninger Psychiatric Clinics, he made an observation. He said, you know, if I could just convince my patients that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out of here today. Okay, they, could just, they could just walk out immediately. 75% of them, if I could just convince them that their sins are forgiven. The problem was he couldn't convince them that their sins are forgiven because he couldn't tell them how their sins were forgiven. And, and they inherently knew that their sins had to be paid for, and manager couldn't tell them how their sins were paid for. He couldn't convince them that the debt had been paid, because he had no mechanism through the debt through which the debt could be paid. And so they stayed in their bondage and their fear and their brokenness, because he couldn't tell them the debt had been paid in Jesus Christ. In fact, that is the only way that the debt has been paid. The Apostle Peter describes it like this. He says, you were redeemed. The debt was paid not with perishable things like silver or gold. That is not with things that are relatively valueless to God, like silver or gold. Instead, your debt was paid with the precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ, the most most valuable commodity in the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ. And God the Father said, I will give that for your sin. Because that's what God does. That is the nature of God. God gives. As we talked about last week from Philippians chapter 2, God does not grasp because he doesn't need to grasp. The nature of God is that God gives. And so he gave his only son and his only son poured out his very life to make a payment for the debt of our sins so that we can be the ones who have a free gift, a gift that we cannot earn. We must receive freely. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. God loves you so much that he gave his son to pay for your sins and you can have eternal life freely. No cost to you, just believe. And when you receive that gift, you will begin to experience the most transforming power on earth. I would argue this is the the only power that can transform you is the grace of God. See, trying harder cannot change you. It can't change your heart. Uh, Getting a a good list of of rules and regulations to obey cannot change you. It can't change your heart. It can manage your behavior, but it can't change your heart. My kids were little. They needed lots of rules to manage their behavior. You know, don't touch the stove or there will be consequences. And they touched the stove and there was consequences, right? But they needed me to protect them, to guard them. They needed those rules. Do your homework First, then you can play or else there will be consequences if you don't do that. Ben, don't, don't hit your sister, Anna Joy, 
love your sister. Well, I could get him to stop hitting. It's more challenging to make him love, right? How do I change his heart? I can't change his heart. I can't change my daughter's heart to love and serve and obey. Clean your room and, and, and do it with joy in your heart. Well, I can get the room cleaned. I can't produce the joy, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. What does God want? He wants a transformed heart, which rules and regulations cannot bring about. The only thing that changes the human heart is the grace of God, experiencing the grace of God. Let me give you an illustration. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians early in American history, and he made this observation. He said, my people, when they are gripped by this great doctrine of Christ and him crucified, I discovered this. I had no need to give them instructions about morality. I found that one followed as fruit of the other. I find my people begin to put on the garments of holiness and the common life begins to be sanctified even in small matters when they are possessed by the doctrine of Christ and him crucified. That is when they are gripped by the gospel that God gave us the most valuable thing he had to offer, which is the very life of his son, Jesus Christ. When we are gripped by that, we understand how deeply God loves us. That is his grace. When we're gripped by the grace of God, we long to obey. And that transformation of our heart begins to happen because love responds to love. That's the grace of God. That is the most powerful, life-changing truth in the universe. A couple of ways that we experience the grace of God. There are many ways. Let me remind you of two. We experience the grace of God through his word. Because God's word is powerful. Hebrews chapter 2, it says the word of God is living and active. It's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces as far as that division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. It, it cuts so deeply within us because it's not just black and white ink on a page, but as we read and we listen, we respond to the spirit, it moves in our hearts and our minds. It causes us to think differently, to believe differently. And as a result, our attitudes are changed and our values are changed, and then our, our actions are changed. It's the word of God. And so if you are visiting for the first time, one of the things you'll discover as you begin to participate in the life of this church is we spend a lot of time in God's word just because we believe that God's word is a powerful source of the grace of God to change us. So Sunday mornings, I'm going to say, hey, bring your Bible. Don't forget your Bible. You know your Bible? There's one right in front of you. Pull it out. And I'm going to say, turn here, turn here, turn here. When you get home, study this passage, memorize this passage. Let God's word just soak into your heart and your mind because it changes you. We're, we're about the Bible. If you get into one of our groups, home church or uh, an adult Bible fellowship on Sunday mornings or a Bible study in college or with the adults, you're going to study the Word of God. You're going to study the Word of God. Okay, the Word of God is a powerful source of experience God's grace. The Word of God and then also the people of God. Right? Truth and love transform our lives. So when we are in the Word of God and we are around the people of God and they're challenging us and pushing us, holding us accountable, encouraging us, Together we grow. God has designed you such that you need other believers to grow in your faith. Students, I cannot exhort you strongly enough. Take this seriously. Your faith will be attacked on campus. You're going to be attacked intellectually. You're going to be attacked morally. You're going to be attacked in the classroom. 
You can be attacked in the relationships that you form. I remember when I was a freshman, I, I went to fish camp, showed up at fish camp. I met my counselor first night, uh, talking with our counselor in our small group. He looks around at us and he says, hey guys, fish camp is a great place to meet girls and have sex. They're like, whoa, that's not what I expected from Texas A&M University, such a morally outstanding place. Next morning, my counselor uh, met me at chapel, and he led the chapel service, opened the word, prayed, helped lead us in worship. Somehow he didn't see that, that things just weren't quite lining up. Okay, your faith will be challenged morally, intellectually, rationally, in every way. And you know, students, that statistically speaking, if you don't plug into a local church, in a community of believers within the first six weeks in college, statistically speaking, you're likely to never plug in your entire four years. And students who don't plug in during those first six weeks, most of them never get plugged into the body of Christ. And you know what? That's exactly Satan's design for your life, to get you disconnected. Okay? So you are not protected by the body of Christ. So you're not encouraged and exhorted. And so you need to beware. Okay? Satan is going to come after you in this way, to get you disconnected from the body. Hey, you're going to have that night where you stay up late with your friends Saturday night. You go, oh, I'll just sleep in. I'll miss this week. Oh, great opportunity for a road trip. Or I'm heading home. It's three weeks. It's four weeks. It's five weeks. It's six weeks. And pretty soon, you're not really even seeing the value any longer of being with the body of Christ. And so I encourage you. I exhort you in the strongest terms. Get plugged in and get plugged in really quickly. It may not be at Grace Bible Church. There are lots of really good churches in this community. So, you know, go, go visit, but choose quickly and get plugged in. Choose quickly and get plugged in. We all need that. I encourage you, I exhort you in the strongest terms. Hey, that's how we experience the grace of God, through his word, through his people. And if you've experienced God's grace, you know what? Then you have an obligation to share God's grace. It's the most powerful life-transforming truth in the universe. And if you've got it, you better turn around and share it. Right? That's what the Great Commission is all about. Hey, repeat it again, Mark chapter 16. Jesus said this, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Or in other words, engage every person on a campus, on our community, in our community, and throughout our world with God's transforming grace. Okay? That is our calling. Every person. Again, Jesus repeated the same command in Acts chapter 1. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And I want you to contemplate for a moment how the disciples felt when they heard this. Right, there are only 11 of them left. Judas is gone. So there are 11 of them. There are a few more men and women who have followed Jesus for some time. Total of 120 persons. And Jesus says to them, you're responsible for the world. We have a few more than that, and, and we say, the world, really? All, person, all, all people in the world? Every person on campus in our community, really? If, for everyone? Yes. Did, did they accomplish it? No, but they, they got started, right? They, they got started. They were pointed a direction to, to all nations, men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That, that's what we will do. That's what we'll go after, because that's where all of human history is moving, and you know, as believers in Jesus Christ, everything that we do, we will do better in that day. We'll do better when we are in eternity, won't we? We'll worship better. 
I mean, Tim is awesome. No, no, man, no offense to Tim. Tim's my favorite worship leader ever that I've ever worshiped with. He is awesome, but he's not anything compared to hundreds of thousands of angels leading us in worship, right? That's going to be a moment. Wow. We will worship better. We will study God's word better. Or you won't have to listen to me telling you what I think Paul means. You can get, hey, Paul, when you wrote that, what did you mean? And it, hey, how, how do you fit the Old Testament, the New Testament together? Could we get Moses over here? Paul and Moses, could you explain what you guys are talking? Hey, never mind. There's Jesus. Let's just ask. <laughs> let's just ask Jesus. Right? Prayer. What? Just sit down at Jesus' feet and talk face to face. Man, that'll be awesome. You will obey better. You will have no flesh. Nothing's going to be pulling you towards sin. Everything will be moving you toward God. And you will find your fulfillment in obedience to all of God's perfect commands. However, there's one thing that you won't do better. There's one thing that you can't do in heaven. And that is you cannot share the gospel of Jesus Christ there. You don't need to. Everyone already believes. And so God has left his church here to make Jesus Christ known to all of the nations. And notice what he says in Acts chapter 1. Do it in Jerusalem. Do it in Judea and Samaria. Do it to the remotest parts of the earth. Do it in Jerusalem, right where you live. Do it in Judea and Samaria, where you have to move a little bit geographically, and you might have to cross some cultural boundaries. Those people are a little different from you. And then go to every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Get, get going. And that is why the church is here. Engage every person. First, in our Jerusalem, on our campus. God has placed us next to a college campus, which is an absolutely wonderful opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a new generation. Psalm chapter 71, it says, Even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. Now, I'm not old, but I'm getting a little gray. And I say, God, I don't want to ever retire from your kingdom. I don't want to ever retire from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when I'm old and gray, God, make this the passion of my heart. Remind me of my responsibility to the next generation of worshipers. Ray Ortland, Ortland who said, the church is always just one generation away from extinction. If we don't take seriously our responsibility to draw in a new generation of worshipers, and so students, we, we're glad you're here. I, I, I will confess, uh, life is more comfortable when you're not here. The summer, you know, it's pretty nice. You just go to a restaurant and walk in. There you go. Table's open, right? Driving around town, I don't, when the light turns green, I didn't have to wait. Fear I was going to get hit, right? I just go when it turned green. Now I'm a little more cautious. You come to church, you can find a place to park, you can find a seat. It's, it's nice and comfortable. But we don't want to be comfortable. We do not want to be comfortable. We want to have an impact for the kingdom of God on earth. And students, you are our greatest opportunity to do that. Because you come in, you stay for a while, and then you leave. You come in and we have an opportunity to equip you just a little bit better to make an impact for the kingdom. You come in, and as one of my elders used to say, your life is a little bit like wet cement. You've brought some values from home, but during college, you're going to make some decisions about what do you really believe? What What are your values? What will your career be? Who will your spouse be? Where will you go in life? You make those decisions. In college, you are most receptive to sinking in deeply and saying, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ forever. That's impact. You know, students, you will become the next leaders in business, in government, education, 
science, technology, and even in the church, the body of Christ. Last 300 years, most revivals have either started on college campuses or been fueled by students. So students, we take seriously our privilege, our opportunity to invest in your lives while you are here. Second, we are called to engage every person in our community. We do that two ways. First, through planting churches. 2008, we planted our first church over at Southwood. Okay? That's just our first. We feel like God's calling us to plant another church, a third. But we don't feel like God's calling us just to have three church plants, but to continue to plant the church in our community because the church can reach out more and more and more to the community. And this community is growing. You know, Within the next 30 or 40 years, the population of Bryan College Station will be between 400,000 and 500,000, be bumping up toward half a million. In other words, the population is growing faster than churches are being planted and can reach the lost and the broken and the hurting. So we feel like God is calling us to continue to plant. We're going to show you a video at the end that kind of gives you some information on that next site that God's calling us to plant. We also feel called to partner with other churches in the community and other agencies in the community to reach out to those who are broken and hurting and needy in our community. You go on our website, you click on serve, and you can find a, a whole bunch of opportunities for you to directly get your hands dirty and serve those with needs in our community. In fact, our, our GO conference, our missions conference that we have every year, this year is going to be focused on reaching the community. How do we serve the community? So every person on campus, every person in our community, every person in the world. Will we alone accomplish that? No. But we can move that direction and we can partner with others. You know, for our church, this has been a part of the very fabric of our identity from the inception of this church. Church began with just a handful of people worshiping. In fact, week in and week out, they weren't always able to pay the senior pastor. They had just one pastor. They couldn't always pay him. They'd collect an offering, see if they were going to be able to pay him a full salary that week. They couldn't always pay him a full salary that week. But the people of the church said, you know what? We need to be involved in the Great Commission, so let's have a missions conference. They had a missions conference, and they selected a handful of missionaries and said, we're going to begin to support you faithfully, even though we can't pay the senior pastor all the time. And, you know, as I look back on that historically, I say, I'm not sure that was really a great idea. I'm not sure I could have supported that conceptually. I would say, hey, let's, let's, make, sure, let's make sure we're paying our own first. They said, no, God is calling us to stretch our faith. And so they gave. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a huge amount of faith. And God blessed that faith. And so today, out of our church budget, we give almost $500,000 every year to support missionaries. And many, many of our members directly give to missionaries. I have no idea how much money flows out of this church For the Great Commission, we have 76 families that we support. We have 20 more who are on year-long projects, and we send scores of students on summer projects because we're committed to the Great Commission. We're committed to not being a church that is just focused upon ourselves and our own needs, but to giving and sacrificing and serving for the needs of the world. One illustration. There's a a couple that were in college ministry when I was a college pastor. They uh, graduated from A&M. Now they are in uh, East Asia, and they're working among a people group. There's 10 million. There are 10 million of these people. And they're trying to plant a church among these 10 million people because there are only 30 Christians among a people group of 10 million. Imagine double the size of Houston, and you can only find 
30 Christians. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But that's what we're committed to as a church. We're committed to that. Life-transforming grace of God. Every person, campus, community, and throughout the world. Let me read you a short letter that we received from a parent last year. This is written to Trey, our college pastor. A mom said, Dear Trey, I wanted to share a story of an experience that happened to my son through your college ministry this past semester. First, I want to let you know that I've been praying for my son for four years that God would grab a hold of his heart. Well, three weeks ago during Christmas, my son out of nowhere told me that he gave his life to Christ. I was so shocked at what I had just heard that I couldn't believe it. I became so excited I could not wait another second to hear how this happened. Let me start by saying that when my son left for college, I don't think he went to church once until the day he walked into Grace Bible Church last semester. What my son told me was that he was so in need of truth, he considered giving church just one last chance. Just one. He decided to see what would happen. So my son showed up one morning. He walked in. He talked to no one. No one talked to him. He sat through the service, and at the end, he told me he just sat for a couple minutes to see if anyone would notice him. After a couple minutes, he decided to give up and leave. And the second he stood up, a young man stood in front of my son, David, and introduced himself. For the next 10 minutes, this young man talked to my son just to get to know him. And for whatever reason, near the end of the conversation, my son decided to open up to him. Let him know that this was the first time back to church in years that he was seeking truth in his life. Then this young man did something I just don't hear of from young Christian guys anymore. He told my son to meet him for lunch so they could talk, get to know each other, and see if they could discover that truth that he had been seeking for. For the next two to three months, they met together. Through this process, my son gave his life to Christ, graduated college in December, knowing him as his Savior. Brings tears to my eyes to know that there are people who genuinely care for others, not only to have a conversation with them, but then actually to meet them weekly as they have heart for the lost. I'm so thankful this young man who never knew my son had heart to see his life changed. Thank you, Trey, for teaching your students to walk up to strangers, to be bold, to care for the lost. Thank you that your ministry is clearly about serving and loving the lost. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My son has found true life. I have so much joy. Only the grace of God transforms life. Okay? Nothing, nothing else. So this morning, this is just our invitation to you uh, to join in. Okay? Join in the mission of this church. And I want to ask you a couple questions. First is, have you experienced the transforming grace of God in your life? Maybe you've been at church your whole life, but it never really sunk in. Okay? It never really connected and clicked that God didn't just send his sons to pay for the sins of the world, but he actually for your sins and it's a gift to you and you need to personally reach out and say God thank you for giving your son to me have you ever experienced God's transforming grace students perfect way to start a semester do you know how to share the grace of God are you committed to sharing the grace of God you know really this is the only life that's worth living Robert Moffat once said we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories but only one short hour before sunset in which to win them That's what we're committed to as a church. As we close, I want to show you a short video that just gives you a little more information on that third site because, you know what, students, maybe God will call you during your college career to go help plant another site. Adults, maybe God will call you 
to uproot. Maybe you're very comfortable where you are and God doesn't want you to be quite so comfortable. He wants to uproot you. Remember, no retirement in the kingdom of God. Maybe he's calling you to go and help that third site get planted. Or maybe he's just calling you to pray or to give. I just want you to consider that as we give you a little more information on that site. And then Matt's going to come up. Uh, Matt will be leading that third site and he'll give you some ideas about how you can get involved. Almost 50 years ago, Grace Bible Church opened its doors for the first time with fewer than 50 people. Today, we are able to share Christ's message of grace with thousands of people within our community and countless others across the world from our Anderson and Southwood campuses. At both campuses, our parking spaces and seats are overflowing with people from all walks of life seeking to learn more about the good news of salvation. However, each week, we risk someone missing out on hearing Christ's message because there simply isn't room. It is time for us to launch a third campus. We plan to open the doors in August 2015. We're launching our third campus in South College Station because of the rapid growth taking place in that part of town. Nearly every segment of our community is represented there, from college students to families to singles to empty nesters, really people from every walk of life live in that area, and many of those men and women have never heard the gospel. There are relatively few churches in that area compared to other parts of our community. So we feel that South College Station represents a unique opportunity for us to reach our world for Jesus. You know, Buck, you you can't come to Grace Bible Church without seeing the abundance of college students. The joy that we have in seeing those college students grow in Christ and and the, their lives change forever is just an, an overwhelming privilege we have. We can't give up on that. We're going to continue to pursue that. We are ministered to in abundance by the students. Our family ministry would not be as uh, powerful and fulfilling and uh, have as much opportunity if it weren't for the college students ministering to us. So uh, look at our community. Couple hundred thousand, and at least a fourth of them students. It's going to be a part of what we do. Excellent. Our first campus, the Anderson campus, always has had a focus on students and families worshiping together. Um, I feel like that will always be key, not only to the third campus, but really to what Grace does. We are going to have some meetings for those who are interested in either attending or just learning more about the third campus. We'll have one a month from September 16th, October uh, 7th, and November 4th are the three dates. And you can find information about those on the website. Um, Those are chances to show up, to pray, to hear more about what's going on. And then we'll also have some training for those who want to help us launch for some of the skills that it's going to take for us to meet people, to reach into our neighborhoods, to share the gospel so that uh, we can see this launch go uh, well. I think the prayer I would ask of the congregation is uh, the usual things, the finances, a, a place for a temporary location, a, some land for a permanent location, the financial resources, uh, some additional leaders for this new campus, for mass preparation, all, all those things are true. Uh, but I would ask that you pray for the people who might come to this new location, who aren't currently in a church or are not active in a church, and that you begin to pray for for their salvation or for their growth in the Lord and uh, that our ministry to those people would be really, really powerful.
the question that we began to ask ourselves is, all right, God, we see you providing the resources. Do we have the faith to step out and do what it takes now? So that's where we are. We think it's now time to step out in faith and make it happen. Please pray for our church and our community as we step out in faith to launch a third site so that we can touch more and more lives with the gospel of Christ. I hope you feel this morning that you've had an opportunity to hear who we are as a church, as well as where we're heading, what the Lord is calling us toward as a church community. I know that the message that Brian talked about this morning, that God wants to know us in Jesus and then wants to send us out onto campus, into our community, into our world, so that others can know his grace. That message really is what captivated my heart 20 years ago when I came here as a college student. And so I'm privileged, I know all of us here uh, on staff feel privileged to be a part of that and a part of helping to lead where we feel God is directing us. As you just saw, we are launching this third campus uh, a year from now, August 2015. Uh, It may be that you sense uh, the Spirit stirring you to be in prayer. I hope all of us feel that. Maybe to give and maybe to go, maybe to participate and be a part of this third campus. If that's the case, as I mentioned, there will be three meetings this fall. The first one is September 16th, so just lock that date in your head. Join us. It'll be here at the Anderson campus right across the hall here in the fireside room at 7 o'clock. We're going to pray. We're going to begin to talk about some planning and how we can reach our neighborhoods and our communities and draw people in to know Jesus. So September 16th, join us for that. Beyond that, we really hope that everybody here will have an opportunity to connect with our church so you can grow in your walk with Christ and be equipped to move out into the world. And so, uh, first of all, students, I want to say welcome back. Uh, We are glad you're here. Uh, As you can tell, we are full to the brim today with adults and students and families worshiping together, and that's what we're about. As you drive around town, uh, you can tell everybody's back, and as crazy as it sounds, even the traffic is something uh, we feel a little grateful for because it reminds us of why we're here, that we're here to serve you, and grace has always been about that. So uh, college students, we're glad you're here. It's great to start with a Aggie win on Thursday. I hope that you uh, had a chance to see that. I loved it. Uh, we want you to connect with our church, one of the primary avenues for you to do that is through our Grace College ministry. They meet across the street. There's a building right across Anderson at 11 in the morning and 7 in the evening every week. There is great worship, biblical teaching. I think beginning in a couple of weeks this fall, they're going to walk through the book of Song of Solomon. So you don't want to miss that. And I hope that you will join them over there and then get connected online, grace-bible.org or on the new app. You can go to your app store. Grace Bible Texas is what you want to look for Download that app. You'll find uh, Bible study groups. You will find groups that will help you grow uh, with other believers. So connect there. Adults and students, uh, we want everybody to connect with one of what we're calling our grace groups. We have ones that meet during the week in homes, our home groups. We've got groups that meet here on Sunday morning for really every stage of life. We have Bible study groups. So go online, go to the app. This morning, you can also go to this ministry desk when you walk out in the foyer to the right. Go out there. You can register there or again on the app. Uh, And up here this morning, there are going to be some representatives from different ministries, from the adult ministry, as well as staff from the college ministry. I'll be up here if you want to talk about third campus at all. 
Anybody that has one of those yellow Ask Me stickers on their shirt, you can talk with them. They can give you more information. But our prayer is that all of us will grow deeper in our connection with this community. And like Brian said, that we'll fulfill that mission to go onto campus, into our community, and all throughout the world to share the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. So connect with someone this morning. Connect throughout the course of the week. Hope you have a great week. You're dismissed.